There are some people you meet who leave a lasting impression. You almost can't put your finger on what it is. It's just something about them. When I first came across Ross Langdon, I thought about him for a long time after. It's strange, really, because I hadn't actually met him in person. I'd only watched his TEDx talk on YouTube. But if we were chameleon designers, we would adapt that language to each new environment that we practiced in. As I watched, I remember being intrigued by his demeanor. He was doing this incredible work in East Africa as an architect, and yet he was so humble when he spoke about it. He had a beautiful, sensitive design vision and seemed so connected to the environments he worked in. I never forgot about Ross. And then in 2014, a year after I'd first watched his talk, I decided it was time, time to get to know him. It all began here, on the Tasman Peninsula, a spectacular setting on Tasmania's southeast coast, a scene of dramatic sea cliffs, an eerie convict settlement, white sandy beaches with crystal blue waters and beautiful forests. Along with his siblings, this was Ross's playground. So I grew up in southeastern Tasmania. For a few of our early years, we lived in a tent at the end of a lush valley by a river. We lived on a little small farm. We milked our own cows, worked the land and grew vegetables and fruit that we lived off. A fresh creek ran through the property. We had a few little animals. Surrounding us was a few hundred hectares of forest that we just deemed as being our uh, playground. It was amazing, it was magical, kind of growing up there. We felled our own trees and we milled our own timber to build the house I grew up in. We lived a self-sufficient lifestyle and what I thought sustainable at that time. It wasn't hard to picture this idyllic childhood. The cubby houses, the farm with animals, little feet running through the forest corridors. Their grandmother Mish was a big part of their lives growing up. She used to take them on a lot of bushwalks. One day, Mish, Craig and Ross had set off on a walk out to some of the tallest sea cliffs in Australia. Ross had taken off, as usual, and when Mish and Craig arrived at the cliff, they found Ross sitting at the edge. With his legs hanging over the edge and waving us to come over and join him, and Mish stopped and grabbed me and said, don't encourage him, we're just going to walk over there and ignore him. And that's exactly what we did. And he was not amused, he, he got up and uh, he, he couldn't understand why we were not going to join him sitting on the edge of the, the thousand foot cliff and hang our legs over and <laughs> it was just that is a very vivid memory. And so I get, I don't know, like I'm picturing a, a boy that was just really ready on the go, yeah. just being ready to just yeah. put the foot forward and just go That's launch. Right. Yeah, and always, but you know, super friendly. Yeah. Always chatty. Always wanting to talk to people and meet people, and you know that was there from the age of two. And I think that's a huge, huge thing in life, isn't it? Being able to communicate so easily. Yeah, Ross was very respectful. I don't think he saw boundaries between people. He was really good at 
just seeing people for who they are, just, yeah, and, and working with them on that level. Hi, Don. Don't remember me? Lyndon used to live up here. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Taking a trip back down. Just having a look, yeah. 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 And you were keeping them Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Back to the old country. Yeah. Yeah, you know we lost Ross. Hmm? You know we lost Ross. Did you? Oh, you're right. Yeah, in, um, in Nairobi. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Ross. Ross Bush with her. Um, he was, he was, he was in that Westgate Mall attack with, from the Al Shabaab. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ross and. Shocking, isn't it? There's nothing else but those things. Never there, all the time. Yeah, it's Every tough. Every day. Yeah, it's tough. Oh. Mm. Sad. Yeah. The next award is the Achievement in Creative Design and Art Award. The award is in memory of a former Tasman student, Mr. Ross Langdon. Passionate architect Ross Langdon believed one must be present in order to discover beauty in unexpected places. I'm Barry Jennings. I worked at Tasman District High School for 35 years, teaching woodwork, metalwork, design. And Ross had an investigative mind, always did have, you know. And when it comes to design, he'd make an awful lot of mistakes. But at the end of the day, you know, he'd come up with a solution. And it was always a good solution. He was a, a different sort of a kid to start with. I mean, you, you don't realise at the time, but in hindsight you start thinking back. And, you know, he was always going to be a fairly successful adult. You know, just had those qualities. And he just loved the design stuff, always questioning it. He liked being successful. But he didn't mind putting the effort into being successful either. And you knew that at the end of the day, he would do something with his life. He always showed interest in design, in form and design. His favourite subject in high school was design and graphics and learning to use the boards. By the time Ross reached college, he decided he wanted to be an architect. He studied the first two years at the School of Architecture in Tasmania, but he then transferred to the larger University of Sydney because he wanted to be challenged. Classmate Carolyn Comino recalls seeing Ross both fail and succeed over the two years there. She was in his first tutorial, and one of their projects was to design some apartments. So the design that he was working on was very unremarkable in the end and there was no design flair. And when he presented it to the teachers or professors, he was really, really slammed for it. By the final graduating project, Ross had just come so far. He did this 3D fly through of this amazingly designed building that, you know, it was just amazing. Everyone was blown away and yeah, I mean, he was the one that everyone was watching and, you know, it was like, well, he can do anything at the end of that. The skill is sort of recovering from the mistake, which is, you know, that to me is a skill in itself. And I think that's, that's a capability he had. The skill that he did develop was this ability to 
work for days. He had been known to work for 48 hours without sleep and just be working. Ross worked so hard, you know, as most architecture students do. I would often find him in his study, headphones on, music going, studying away on some amazing design or model. Yeah, it was remarkable to see how passionate he was. In his final years of doing his Master of Architecture in Sydney, Ross worked for one of Australia's leading architects and builders, Drew Heath. Drew was a major influence on the direction Ross took later in life. They'd met when Ross was working with another one of Australia's renowned architects, Sam Marshall. We got on well, you know, Tassie boys who love sport, drinking, architecture and girls, you know. So, you know, we had a lot of kind of similar characteristics and it's that Tasmanian upbringing that gives you a little bit of something else that is something different that we could relate to. By the time Ross had come to Sam's, I was starting to move out on my own and I saw Ross as a talented student, so I tried to help guide him in his architectural pursuits. Every architect who takes you on and trains you leaves you with something. Probably for Ross, for me, I probably taught him about the the beauty, I guess, of architecture and the humanist approach to it. It was just as Barry Jennings, his high school design teacher, had said. Ross's mistakes became his ally and he ended up graduating with first-class honours and with the University Medal for Architecture. And now the world was at his feet and he knew it. Friends Caroline Comino and Dan Devine followed his path very closely. You would always hear about what Ross was doing. So you would hear that, because he got the British Council scholarship to go and work in London and I had a lot of friends that were in London and would sort of tell me, OK, he worked with Zaha did, but he only lasted two weeks. She's one of the most famous architects in the world. She has an office of hundreds of people and my understanding that I got from Ross, it's almost run like a factory. He didn't enjoy it at all, um, and so he only lasted a few weeks before he went, no, this is not where I want to be. I don't think Ross was ever someone to get starstruck or think, you know, I have to um, suck up to this person. His work there, he's seen what it's about. Uh, he's not going to learn any more from that experience. It's time to do something else. Yeah, so within that first year he worked for Zaha, he worked for John McAslan and David Adjay, all quite large-scale architects. Then I heard that he was in Africa, he'd met someone at a dinner party who had said, do you want to design a lodge in Uganda? And I thought, okay, that sounds pretty amazing. Ross was amazing with contacts. I mean, being such a social person, he knew people who knew people. And Ross was, he was so positive and optimistic, people always wanted to work with him. So the opportunity came out of a friend of a friend, I think, who knew about the project. I think it was early 2010, he moved to Uganda, actually, and he lived on site at Chambura, which is where they were building the eco-lodge and it's in rural Uganda. Very beautiful area, yeah. 
I'm Pascal Werner and live in Kampala. I used to run a lodge in Queen Elizabeth National Park. That is right where Ross was building the lodge for volcano safaris, Chambura Gorge Lodge. One afternoon, this guy just pops up at the lodge and introduced himself saying that he's building a lodge there. Didn't really know much about Africa yet, I think. I had the feeling and um, I wondered how long he would survive there actually, because he, he kind of struck me as not really yeah, being very conversant with the with the ways of the bush, let's put it that way, and uh, kind of thought that okay, yeah, I'll just try to show him a bit and uh, try to introduce him to some people here and just help him. But uh, very very quickly, and that really struck me. It took no time where it suddenly it was him who was introducing me to people and uh, showing me things that he had learned and. Um, like just the speed of which he managed to adapt himself to those circumstances there was just incredible. I didn't think that was possible. But um, yeah, after a few months, he was, he was at home, <laughs> completely at home. <laughs> yeah. So Ross worked there for, I think it was two years really. He lived on site. Because out there he wasn't just architect, he was project manager, site manager, you know, quantity surveyor. He was doing engineering. He was doing every aspect of the job. By this stage, Ross had his own firm, Regional Associates, along with two other Australian architects. He was leading all of the company's projects in East Africa. The vision he had for Shambura Lodge was unique. It involved... Experimenting with recycled materials and local materials and the skills of the local craftsmen and how they could be then put into you know, taking their skills and strengths and using those as key parts of the design. Ross loved reusing found and discarded objects. One crazy idea that he took up with the locals in the village nearby was to convince them to give him their old, leaking, rusty iron roofs in exchange for brand new ones. Around our projects, we realised there was a lot of houses and schools and buildings which had old corrugated iron roofs that had passed their use-by date. They were leaking, they weren't doing their job anymore and people couldn't afford to replace them. So we worked with a local charity to set up a program which we called the Rusty Roof Exchange where we built new roofs for uh, those in need and we took their old metal roofs. And uh, the locals thought we were mad. The new roofs were installed on people's homes, mosques, churches and schools. And community leaders like Chairman Kudja, who I met at the local mosque, were very happy that the program was so inclusive. Wow. This is the so, Mr. Chairman Kaja is saying that this program, when it came, it was not segregative. It was not saying that we are supporting Muslims, we are supporting so and so. It was not segregative, it was supporting everybody. So, when it came, Chairman prayed the Lord to make sure that at least they also benefit out of the program. So he also got a chance to benefit out of it. So he's happy. <laughs> 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 yeah.
Ross draped the rusty corrugated iron sheets over some of the thatched roofs of the banders, the cabins. And as I look out over the savannah, the buildings seem to blend with the patchwork of browns, golds and copper of the surrounding landscape. They've given the lodge a raw and rustic kind of look. And our roofs took on new lives. They changed colour and texture and pattern throughout the day. He even used the old roofs to make lampshades here in the cabins. No one had really, well definitely nobody working on the project, had ever worked on a project like that before. It was far, far and away from what anyone knew or had ever seen. I mean, at that point, he probably would have been 31 and people really looked up to him. So towards the end of the project, when Mum and I had visited, Ross was already looking at other sites and other projects within the area. So, you know, it had really opened up a whole new area of his career. Ross was really on a mission to create what he thought was just beautiful architecture. He was really on a mission and he was on a real roll because he produced a lot of designs in a very, very short time. My name is Felix Holland. I'm an architect working with Studio FH Architects and uh, I'm originally from Germany and I have been in Uganda for 13 years. The last year that I was, or the last half year that I was involved with him, I don't know how many projects he, he bombarded me with in that short time. So he had really, he had made a name in East Africa. So people were actually really calling him in and, and uh, so he had succeeded in that developing that sort of, if you want, brand of, he called it regional architecture, even his company was called Regional Associates. Ross's designs were responsive, culturally sensitive, sustainable and adaptable. In his TEDx talk, he talks about a chameleon kind of architecture, able to adapt and change and blend with the environment rather than conquer it. I think in that chameleon architect uh, concept is also, of course, this concept of adaptation. So it's not only adapting to the local society, it is also really adapting to the location where you're building. And, um, yeah, he had this dream of being being on the ground and doing it himself where he is with the local guys and I really think he achieved that. I just want to use this building for a short way. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's beautiful. It is, eh? Yeah. So what was the idea behind, what was the brief, I, I guess? The real original plan was that this was meant to be for HIV education. This health centre was named after Ross. It's in Manya, in rural Uganda, where HIV is rampant. It was a project Ross took on for the Cotton On Foundation. Being an Australian organisation, they were really keen to work with Ross in Uganda. Maybe one of the important aspects about it is that it doesn't have any windows, so you can't see outwards. There's a lot of air in here and a lot of light, but you can't see outwards. That was, of course, one of the key ideas. Behind the design. Good afternoon. The centre responds well to the hot climate in Uganda, and at the same time, it's a beautiful building and a kind of healing space. It was always meant to be a, a contemplative, calm space. Some people told us it looks a bit like a chapel when you enter here, because it's so quiet and the light comes from hidden corners and from the top. Oh, and there's like bottles, drink. 
Oh. Yeah, those are liters of light, as they're called. Um, so they're old um, drink bottles? Correct. Those are, those are PET bottles um, filled with water oh, yeah. and bleach and then stuck through the roof uh, and they reflect sunlight down into the building. Like, like the lights, aren't they? Mm. The final night that Mum and I spent in uh, Uganda with Ross, we were in Kampala for the evening before our flight. And um, Ross and I met up with some of his friends and we had an evening together. We, we had dinner and listened to some live, beautiful live African music. And then we went to a nightclub in Kampala and the dance floor was incredible, you know. You know, these beautiful beats. It was just a really vibrant atmosphere and the really warm air. And we were, we were drinking refreshing gin and tonics <laughs> that evening. I mean, Ross, he loved music. He loved to dance. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were having a lovely time. And then Ross disappeared from the dance floor. And um, later I found him at the edge of the room chatting to a brunette. That was actually the night that Ross met Elif Yuvuz, who um, later became his partner. So it was really special to be there the moment that they met and, and just seeing how much that they bonded and were just so engrossed in conversation right in the middle of this very hot, sweaty nightclub in Kampala. Alif was originally from the Netherlands. She was in Kampala doing research on malaria. After she finished her fieldwork, Ross moved with her to Boston so she could finish her PhD at Harvard. By this stage, their relationship was very strong and we all knew that this was, this was something really special for Ross and he was so, so happy and so in love. You know, we knew that Alif was really special to him. A huge opportunity came up for Alif when she was offered a job at the Clinton Foundation in Dar es Salaam. She was pregnant with their first child. Um, so they packed up their life in Boston and moved to Tanzania just after the Boston bombings, actually. They chose for the final month of Elise's pregnancy to go to Nairobi in Kenya, where they had the best hospital facilities and was considered, you know, the safest place to have a baby in East Africa. Just two weeks before the baby's due date, Ross and Elif uh, were having lunch at the Westgate Mall. Uh, they'd just attended a birth class and they went to the Westgate Mall for lunch. Witnesses trapped inside the Westgate shopping centre have described seeing what they thought were dead bodies and heavily armed gunmen. Local media say the gunmen controlled the second floor and rooftop parking area. A lot of tourists and members of the expatriate community use Westgate Mall to do They were both shopping. gunned down and Ross was cradling a leaf, protecting her in his arms. I never did get the chance to meet Ross in person. He gave his TEDx talk in Krakow on September 21, 2012, and it was precisely one year later 
he was killed. Four gunmen from a Somali militant group, Al-Shabaab, had stormed the Westgate shopping mall in central Nairobi, killing 67 people. I called him at least 20 times within the next 10 minutes. Of course, no answer. His phone was still on, but there was no answer. I didn't understand what was going on. Just talking to, calling everybody, everybody he may know that he would hang out with also in Kampala and hoping to find out that this is all not true, that it's, that it's misinformation. I knew from the news what had happened in Nairobi, but I didn't think. Please tell me that this didn't happen. Please tell me. And uh, some people knew, some people didn't. And then, yeah, just very suspiciously, people just started showing up on our doorstep. I said, you know, what's happened to my boy? You know, because I, I saw him as, as my, you know, as a, as a son-like figure to me. He was at his happiest. Um, he's definitely at his happiest in the months before the attack. I guess a lot of pathways in his life had come together just in those six months before the end, the end of his life. Elif had just turned 33 and Russ was about to turn 33. They never knew they were having a baby daughter. That was really exciting him that he was moving into fatherhood in that part of his life. So all of those roads had just come together in that last six months. What is unique about Rostov was that he was very young. He was really young and he did remarkable designs at a very, very young age. You can see that also, you see that he was young, but uh, there's not many architects of that age that can produce such work. So it was, uh, it was really, yeah, there's obsession and ambition and, and, you know, passion, but at the bottom of it is skill and talent, and he really was talented. You can only imagine what he would have created. Um, I think the only comfort we now have is that he has touched many people. So it's not like he has not left behind a lot of things. He has. He has really made an impact. For me personally, it's life-changing. Like, I don't know how I could express it, but I am basically forever changed as a result of his work. Emmanuel Magisha is a young architect in Uganda. As a student, he was in awe of Ross's work. And then after graduating, they ended up working together. Many of the buildings Emmanuel works on today are inspired by the concepts and designs Ross left behind. I know it's sad he's no longer with us, but speaking from a point of view here in Uganda, it's like he never left. Because four years down the road, he's still referred to in conversations, decision-making in designs, our everyday work experience is still influenced by him. Like using the word like a legend is not something that he would associate himself with, but the impact of his work and the way he related with people, it has created a legacy. There's really many people up to now who come and, and see me and refer to us. Potential clients, uh, interested developers, they see his stuff and they go around, they, I want that, I want something like that. 
So he has achieved incredibly much in a very, very short life. And what do you think set Ross apart as an architect? I don't think he'd like to feel that he was set apart. No. no. <laughs> I don't think he ever thought like that. No, I think... Um, he's just enjoyed doing what he was doing and so, you know, he really loved architecture. He was just doing absolutely what he loved doing. And, you know, anyone who loves doing what they're doing can get the best out of it.